Hi, this is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And uh, today I really have a great pleasure of having Dr. Uh, Glauco Bayoki, uh, who is the Director of Gynecologic Oncology at the AC Camargo uh, Cancer Center in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And uh, we're going to speak about this exciting trial. This is the Sentinel Lymph Node Mapping versus Sentinel Lymph Node Mapping and Systematic Lymphadenectomy in Endometrial Cancer, an open-label, non-inferiority, randomized trial called the ALICE trial. And you can read about it actually in our journal. It's published under the uh, clinical trials. So Glauco, thank you so much and uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, first, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Ramirez, for this invitation and for the interest in our study. It's, uh, it's really an honor for me to join this podcast. Well, great. And, and again, uh, Glauco, for, for, for the podcast and, and certainly, obviously, uh, for, for anything else. No, no formalities. Uh, you can call me Pedro. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, Glauco, I wanted to first, we have a lot of questions. Some of these questions were also submitted by our, um, our fellows in the journal. Uh, first of all, congratulations, obviously, on, on embarking on a prospective study of any kind, a surgical study of any kind in gynecologic oncology. Uh, but I wanted to uh, start by discussing, uh, you know, where do we stand today on sentinel lymph node mapping uh, in endometrial cancer, recognizing that, you know, certainly many institutions, sentinel lymph node mapping has sort of become the standard of care um, already without the lymphadenectomy. So um, my first question is, you know, why perform another uh, randomized trial when, as you mentioned, you know, there, there are five others uh, that have evaluated this question. Uh, can you start by telling us a little bit about that? Yeah, Pedro, uh, sentinel node biopsy has emerged as alternative strategy when uh, people decide between complete infantinectomy or no node section, even for the rise, uh, high risk patients. Uh, this approach can help to avoid the morbidities and uh, are associated to complete that are associated to complete infantinectomy, such as the lymphocytes formation, neovascular injury, and also lymphedema. And uh, sentinel lymph node mapping allows uh, one to detect unusual drainage uh, sites that can be overlooked by standard lymph node section. And uh, there is another benefit in detecting the micrometastasis and isolated tumor cells. And therefore, uh, it's recognized as a standard of care by many, many major institutions in US and Europe. And despite the, the current uh, literature evidence in favor of sentinel node mapping, only five prospective studies address the performance of sentinel node mapping in endometrial cancer staging. And uh, only three of them included only or mostly high-risk tumors. Hmm. All of them recorded a high sensitivity, a high negative predictive value, suggesting that the lymph node biopsy is accurate to identify the, to identify the node metastasis, and uh, its performance is comparable to observed in other primary tumors where the method is considered a standard care, such as bovary cancer, melanoma, and breast cancer. Mm -hmm. However, uh, it's important to, to note that uh, the published prospective studies in sentinel node mapping aim to analyze the performance of sentinel node mapping in staging the metro cancer rather than the oncological outcomes. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the main uncertainties in sentinel node mapping is the value of adding a complete lymph node section, mainly when the sentinel lymph node is positive. Uh, and the five studies addressed that this topic and the risk of non-sentinel node uh, metastasis related to the size of the sentinel loop. Mm -hmm. 
do, do the Sentinel node metastasis. Uh, a pollen analysis uh, suggests that a sentinel node metastasis is, uh, uh, is found when an ITC of the sentinel uh, positive in 3.8%, uh, a non-sentinel lymph node when uh, the sentinel node, uh, lymph node is positive for micromets is 21%, mm. and, for, and the 45%, uh, a non-sentinel lymph node is found positive when a uh, uh, sentinel node is positive for uh, uh, micromets. Mm -hmm. uh, moreover, the benefit of adding a systematic lymphadenectomy in a patient that already undergo adjuvant chemotherapy after a positive lymph node metastasis is very questionable. In theory, the adjuvant treatment with chemotherapy or radiotherapy can be administered and uh, treat the remaining microscopic lymph node metastasis or other metastasis. Therefore, yeah. we think that a prospective randomized trial would add, would add uh, valuable data in this topic. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, you, you point out a very uh, important uh, highlight is that a lot of these studies have been more so on like the detection of the sentinel lymph nodes, the sensitivity, specificity, but not so much on the oncologic outcomes. So I'm, I'm looking forward to um, hearing more about that. Um, so with that, then, um, what were the primary endpoints that you set out and the secondary endpoints of the ALICE trial? Pedro, uh, the primary endpoint is uh, to evaluate the three-year disease-free survival. And we have uh, other secondary endpoints that are five-year overall survival and uh, the morbidity related to surgical procedures and early and late complication rates. And uh, the, also the incidence of lower limb lymphedema and the quality of life related to the surgical procedures. Uh, we are including the patients uh, ages up to 75 year old. Uh, it's at the cutoff. Patients mm -hmm. with a high grade histology, endometrioid grade three, serious clear cell and carcinoma sarcomas are included. And uh, for endometrioid grades one and two, if they have deep, deep uh, myometrial invasion or cervical invasion. And we, we exclude patients with uh, low performance status, a cog uh, more than two, previous lymphedema, previous hysterectomy performed in other institution, presence of extrauterine disease, anyone, peritoneal, visceral, suspicious lymph node, uh, previous pelvic radiotherapy, previous pelvic lymph node, and uh, another primary cancer treatment uh, up to five years. And uh, if we cannot identify any sentinel lymph node. Great. And, and one, of the, one of the questions actually that was brought up by one of our fellows, Demetrius Natsiudis from the University of Pennsylvania, um, he, he, and I think you alluded to a little bit about this, but he was asking specifically, um, like, why were you more specifically uh, focusing on these high risk uh, group of patients? Okay, um, and now we are starting with the, the tough questions, eh, Pedro? Because the, <laughs> the tough questions come <laughs> the from- fellows The fellows do ask those tough yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah, the fellows ask. <laughs> uh, thank you, Demetrius, for asking. Uh, we are including just the high-risk group because those are at risk of estrotrine spread and lymph node metastasis. And uh, we think that the, the low-risk patient uh, has the lymph node positivity rate of less than 3% and the uh, lymph node staging with infandenectomy would be so detrimental that uh, it's not worth to, to include these patients. Yeah. And then the, the, the next question actually also comes from, from a former fellow who's actually on the call right now. So you can direct your answer right at him. This is from Arthur, uh, who's our administrative fellow at the IJGC. 
And he says, well, are you recruiting also patients with mixed cell types or undifferentiated, de-differentiated carcinomas? Yeah, 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 Arthur. Uh, we are including all, all high-grade histologists. Uh, it was not written in the manuscript uh, submitted to International Journal, but uh, we are including the mixed cell type when they are, because they usually are high-grade tumors, and uh, the undifferentiated and differentiated ones. We're including all, 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 all high-grade histologists. Excellent. And then, uh, Glauco, can you uh, explain a little bit about the uh, methodology of the, of the study itself and uh, in, in the details of the methodology? Well, well, Pedro, it's a collaborative, multi-center, open-label, non-failurity, randomized trial. Uh, we started the recruitment at our institution in December 17. It's very difficult to run a surgical trial, you know this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we invited our Brazilian centers. Uh, they may, we may use blue dye or ICG we, that uh, they are injected only in cervix at three and nine o'clock positions. Mm -hmm. One cc superficial and one cc deep for a total of four cc's. And then the surgery starts with the confirmation of the disease restricted to the uterus, the identification and the retrieval of the sentinel lymph nodes. And after that, a total uh, hysterectomy and salpingophorectomy is performed and the uterus sent frozen section. The uterine frozen section is performed to evaluate the death of invasion or myometrial invasion and cervical invasion if it's... Uh, and then uh, the randomization will be performed after the frozen section and confirmation of the inclusion criteria in two arms. One arm is sentinel lymph node only. And then if uh, the, the, the patient uh, is randomized to the this arm, the, the, the surgery finished now, or the second arm is sentinel lymph node and completion of systematic pelf and parotid lymphadenectomy. Uh, that retrieve the sentinel lymph node are not uh, uh, submitted to frozen check, but except if it's grossly suspicious of involvement. And in case of positive lymph node, the patient is excluded from the study. All sentinel lymph node will receive the ultra staging and immunohistochemistry if it's negative for uh, HNE. And uh, for the sample calculation, we considered a three-year disease-free survival of 88.5%. It's a result found in the series of patients with the same inclusion criteria in previously treated in our, in our institution. And for a, a, a alpha of 5%, power of 80%, and non-inferiority limit of 10%, the hypothesis uh, is that uh, well, there is a difference really means in favor of experimental arm of 2%, then 162 patients are needed to 80% sure of the upper limit of 95%. And we are considering the 10, a 10 follow-up loss and the final sample size is now 178 cases. Great, so a total of aiming for about 178 patients. Um, yeah. So Glauco, a lot of uh, the questions that came from our fellows are, are uh, specifically, asking about some of the details on the methodology itself. So the first one also on that section is uh, Florian Joshim. She's from uh, France. And um, she's asking what you mean specifically by, quote, clinically suitable to receive systematic lymphadenectomy. Uh, she wants to know, did you exclude patients who were obese or patients with um, anatomical abnormalities, or are you excluding patients with uh, extensive adhesions? 
Florian, uh, thanks for asking. Uh, the term uh, clinic suitable is obviously a subject of evaluation, you know, <laughs> but uh, we, we will not include cases with obesity or anatomical issues that impair systematic lymphadenectomy. It's, uh, it's another reason that uh, the randomization time is being during surgery because mm. uh, if it's not possible to do the, 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 the lymphadenectomy, the patient will not go to the randomization. Other examples are previous uh, lower lymphedema or lipedema uh, and uh, major uh, comorbidities associated in the, in the, the those, those women will, will not be included in the study. So, so the clinically suitable, it's, it's uh, some, has some subjective evaluation, but uh, I, I think it's important for the, and we'll uh, include this in the consort uh, during the trial. Okay. And this next question is from Spain, Felix Borea. Uh, and Felix wants to know, since you state that surgical procedures will be done by experienced surgeons, what are your criteria to define who is an experienced surgeon? <laughs> I think Raleigh has one of the toughest questions. <laughs> yeah. Hi, hi Felix. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's a good point. And thanks for asking. Uh, it, one of the difficulties of running a prospective surgery study is the reproducibility in the, of the procedure and how to address the surgical expertise and skills of the surgeon. It's very difficult, you know, Pedro, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and uh, the study started in our institution and we invited four other, other institutions in Brazil that are well known to have expertise in sentinel node mapping for gynecological tumors. It, uh, it was uh, my choice. Uh, we, we, we asked the, the, the institutions, they agreed and, uh, and joined the study. Yeah. But it's, it's, uh, it's open for, for the institutions as well. Yeah, and it's always obviously a challenge to, to put an objective evaluation on that as well. Um, this next question is from uh, Natalie in uh, Jamaica. Um, is she, you know, and this is a, this is a topic that keeps coming up recently. Um, and she asked about protective maneuvers, uh, avoiding uterine manipulator. As you know, there was recent data suggesting that a uterine manipulator, particularly high-risk patients, could increase the risk of recurrence. So your, your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, Natalie. In the, here in Brazil, we are talking a lot about this too for endometrial cancer. Uh, the protective maneuvers are not obligatory for the study, but uh, we usually seal the, the turing tubes as well and uh, retrieve the lymph nodes protected inside the bags. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I'm, I'm aware of the uterine manipulators and copotomies that uh, they have an important role in cervical cancer. But personally, I'm not convinced they, that uh, it can be translated to endometrial cancer. Uh, as, as Pedro said, this topic has been recently addressed by a Spanish study published in Great Journal, and uh, where uterine manipulator was associated with worse outcome. However, we have two major randomized controlled trials, the LIP2 and the LACE trial, uh, where laparoscopy and laparotomy had similar outcomes, performance, and the laparoscopy traditionally uses the uterine manipulator. Uh, there's a recent uh, uh, paper uh, also published uh, and uh, led by, by Dr. Ramirez here in, in I think, in, in obstetric gynecology, and uh, it's a, it was a, a propensity match uh, study that uh, did not uh, find a difference between 
uh, laparoscopy and the laparotomy in high risk group. So I, I don't think it's a it's a it's a major issue for for endometrial cancer, but uh, some if if uh, if uh, uh, a colleague does not want to use any more the treatment paper, he, he he may not use and and no no problem. That's not a problem for for the study. Great. And this uh, subsequent question also comes from Natalie again in Jamaica. Uh, she's asking more about the imaging and particularly, you know, when doing a studies about lymph nodes and um, lymph node evaluation, preoperatively, the imaging becomes quite important. So her question was, how do you define by MRI or CT uh, a suspicious lymph node? Uh, whether there is evidence also of cervical invasion of by the endometrial cancer. And then lastly, do you allow PET CTs in the study? Yeah, thanks for asking, Natalie. I, I think one, one, one great study from MD Anderson, from Pamela Solomon, uh, she, she addressed in her prospective trial, including high-risk tumors of endometrial cancer, the, the PET CT, and she did not find that it's useful. And uh, for, for our study, the criteria for a suspicious lymph node in MRI in CTs are one centimeter or more for considering a suspicious lymph node. The cervical invasion is only considered for patients after MRI and uh, evaluated all cases during first infection. I, I think it's not, uh, CT is not a good uh, imaging uh, to, to, to look for the, the cervical invasion. And uh, if the patient has a negative PET-CT, she can be included. But if she has a positive PET-CT, depending on the, the, the type of the lymph nodes, suspicious, she's not included in this study. Okay, great. Uh, th this was sort of like a combined question from Felix Boria and uh, Florian Joshin from uh, uh, Spain and uh, France, uh, respectively. And it was about the uh, what do you do if you don't uh, find a sentinel lymph node? So they ask, uh, what is the, the standard for the protocol if you don't achieve bilateral sentinel lymph node mapping? Um, and then does the surgeon also need to perform a periodic node dissection in, uh, in these settings? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very good point and it's very important for our study. Uh, if, the sentinel node, if the sentinel lymph node mapping is... Uh, uh, we are following the NCCM algorithm. If uh, the sentinel node is not uh, detected even after re-injection, it's uh, we may re-inject if it's not uh, detected. The patient is excluded from the study and receive a full lymphadenectomy. Remember that this patient is a high-risk patient. Mm -hmm. if, in case of unilateral detection, the patient is included in the study and if randomized to the sentinel lymph node arm, a pelvic lymph node section is performed in the pelvis, where the sentinel lymph node was not found, like the NCCN algorithm. Uh, in, the, in up to 5% of cases, a paraortic sentinel lymph node is expected in the, it will be considered a, a, a sentinel lymph node if found in paraortic area. Uh, we are aware of the unilateral detection rates and are discussing an amendment to, the, to include only patients with bilateral detection. Mm. Uh, mainly because uh, we are including some patients with blue dye, and uh, we know that uh, the bilateral detection rates are, are lower, and uh, it's it's just the point. Yeah, so that's really that's a perfect setup for my next question because I was going to ask you, uh, you know, you mentioned in the Alice trial um, you allow for blue dye, and of course, obviously, this is also often reflective that 
ICG is not available in all institutions. So, you know, in anticipation of um, the potential criticisms of the study in the future, um, what are your thoughts on this concept of having blue dye as an accepted option uh, rather than everyone having ICG for the ALICE trial? Yeah, yeah, ICG is similar to blue dye in sensitivity and negative predict value. It's not uh, inferior. Uh, and uh, however, it really performs better. ICG performs better than blue dye in terms of detection rates. It's uh, that's why I think it's a, I think it's the, the, the standard it's now the standard of, of care. Of, uh, uh, however, the ICG requires the optic device and uh, it is not available in all centers in all cases. That's a problem. In our institution, we have now the, the, the ICG for, for open, for laparoscopy and robotic, but uh, it's not the, the same for all institutions. And that's why we, we, it's possible to use the, the blue dye. Okay. So, so um, Glauco, this next question comes from Arthur. This may also be a, a challenging question. He says, you know, in your protocol, you mentioned uterine frozen section is performed to evaluate the death of myometrial invasion and cervical invasion for all cases. Uh, the randomization will be performed after frozen section, after, as you mentioned. Now, he asked, can you explain the rationale for this? Uh, since according to ESGO guidelines, frozen section is not uh, as reproducible for myometrial death of invasion. And then, you know, so some might say, well, you have all these high risk patients anyway, so why do you need to do frozen section? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point and uh, uh, for clarification, Arthur. And uh, um, we wanted to standardize the time for randomization and guarantee that it would be performed after the sentinel biopsy in order to mitigate the certain bias, you know? That's why we, we, we chose the, the moment of frozen section as the, the moment of randomization. And uh, despite the, the controversy of frozen section accuracy to determine the myometry evasion, we wanted to include the patients with endometrioid grade one and two and, and deep myometry evasion and thus patients with gross cervical invasion. And we believe that frozen section uh, is the ide ideal moment to select those patients. Uh, and it's, uh, that, that's why we, we use the, the, the frozen section uh, for all patients. And uh, if we are using frozen check for one patient, why not to use for everybody? So we, we started using standardizing to use for everybody. Okay. Um, and, and is that uh, actually, Glock, I'll follow that up. Uh, now, do you, even outside of the ALICE trial, in your practice, in your institution, I see Camargo, do you do frozen sessions even also on carcinosarcomas and papillary cirrus? Yeah, <laughs> we frozen section everybody. It's, uh, we, we uh, if we, we have, we have uh, patients with, uh, mainly patients with uh, endometrioid grade one and grade two, we frozen because we we have just one unilateral detection. We do not do the contralateral based on the frozen section. You know mm. that if we have a very low risk patient, we do not do the contralateral based on the frozen section. Yeah, that's a, that's why we, we frozen everybody, and uh, we are prospective uh, gathering the data. That's why we we frozen everybody, even the high risks. Okay, and for the low risk. Because we, we, we think sometimes we we have just one unilateral uh, detection, uh, we, we 
may mitigate the contralateral and the size side that it's not detected after the frozen section. Okay. Now, one question also uh, on the methodology. You're doing an interim analysis after 14 events are observed. And one of the questions that came up is, why 14? Oh, we expect to have about uh, 28 to 30 events, and uh, therefore we're going to, to do an interim analysis after half of the events, because that, that's why the, the, 14, the number 14 is it's, uh, half of the expected events. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this uh, goes back to Demetrius now. He wants to know about adjuvant treatment and indications of adjuvant <laughs> treatment in your study. He says, how will the cases receive adjuvant treatment? Will they follow ESGO risk factors? Uh, will they all receive radiation? Will the radiation be based on GOG factors or ESGO risk factors? <laughs> Good question, Demetrius. We have a lot of prospective randomized trials in adjuvant treatment in metro cancer, and we still do not know <laughs> what <laughs> adjuvant treatment to do. And uh, patients uh, in our study, uh, patients will receive vaginal brachytherapy if 1B, low grade, or 1A, grade 3, endometrioid. And uh, the presence of lymphovascular space invasion will be considered as, uh, for brachytherapy. Uh, moreover, the grading of, of lymph, uh, lymphovascular space evasion included in the last ESGO joint statement is still controversial among our pathologists. And uh, for, other, uh, for all other cases, a pelvic radiation will be considered. Uh, yet we are looking for funding to analyze the molecular profile of all cases, including the study. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are performing now the immunohistochemistry for mismatch repair genes and P53. Um, however, the, the poly sequencing is still expensive in, in its funding. Yeah. And um, Glaco, one of the other things also, and you mentioned uh, the rates of anticipated non-sentinel lymph node positive. Uh, and I believe you said it was about 4% for isolated tumor cells. Um, how will these patients in the study be considered? Will they be labeled as positive or negative? And will they undergo adjuvant treatment under the, the ALICE trial? Yeah, and uh, we, we in, our, in our study that addressed this issue, we, we did not have any non-Sentinel positive lymph node after ITC of the Sentinel lymph node. But uh, that, that, what I said was a pull analysis of the, of the papers uh, published. And uh, certainly how to manage low volume metastasis, especially ITC is still an unanswered topic for endometrial cancer. Mm. There are three good articles addressing this topic, one from Mahi Plant in 2017 and two recent collaborative papers, one from Dr. Bakes and another led by Dr. Mariani that we participated. Uh, probably the endometrioid grade one, grade two with ITC have good prognosis and should be treated after the, the uterine factors. And uh, in our study uh, for endometrioid grade one and grade two tumors with deep myometry invasion, we will consider, consider only brachy therapy. And uh, if uh, lymphovascular space invasion is also present, we will discuss chemotherapy. We will not have this patient with, uh, those patients with endometrioid grade one, grade two with, uh, without deep myometry invasions. Uh, that we, we, we think that those patients uh, would, would have uh, no, no further treatment. 
Yeah. So, Glauco, uh, now before uh, we uh, conclude the, the podcast, I wanted to ask you um, if you can just uh, detail for our audience, uh, there's three uh, major ongoing trials evaluating sentinel lymph nodes versus lymphadenectomy, I believe is the SELECT trial, the SNEC trial, and the yeah. O3 trial. Uh, can you tell us a little bit briefly about each of those? Yeah, the, the names are great. Yeah, we have now other three prospective ongoing trials uh, that we will address the survival outcomes of sentinel lymph node mapping, although with very different inclusion criteria. Uh, first, uh, we have the SELECT trial. It is an international single-arm observational study led by Memorial Zoo Catherine, and will include 182 women with intermediate high endometrioid endometrial carcinoma, stages 1A, grade 3, 1B, grade 1, and grade 2. And they will assess whether the three-year prevalence of pelvic non-vaginal recurrence and non-inferior to, if it is non-inferior to historical control that is made it of 2.5%. Uh, seven, we, uh, second, we have the SNAC trial. That is a Chinese multicentric non-inferiority randomized trial. They will include 780 patients with intermediate high-risk factors considered as endometrioid, endometrial cancer grade three, myometry evasion more than 50%, tumor size more than two centimeters, non-endometrioid endometrial cancer, cervical involvement, the patients will be randomized to sentinel lymph node mapping or pelvic lymphadenectomy plus minus polyartic lymphadenectomy. The, 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 the control group will not receive sentinel node mapping. Mm. And uh, the primary outcome is two-year disease-free survival. And finally, the, the third is the end of three trial that is an Australian and New Zealand multicentric study that uh, I, I think... Uh, Dr. Obermeyer already recorded mm -hmm. a podcast here, and they will evaluate uh, the role of, of lymph node staging with sentinel lymph node biopsy, include all histologies. And uh, the study will randomize 760 patients into sentinel lymph node mapping or no lymph node staging. And the primary endpoint is 4.5 years disease-free survival. And uh, it's important to state that all trials are going to address the surgical morbidity and quality of life as secondary endpoints. Fantastic. So now we have the SELECT, the SNEC, the ENDO3, and the ALICE. And the ALICE. <laughs> oh, man. Exciting. Exciting. <laughs> so, uh, Glauco, I really always uh, enjoy speaking with you, and uh, I want to thank you uh, so much for, for doing the podcast. But before I, I let you go, I wanted to uh, kind of put you on the spot a little bit here and tell us, as the investigator, principal investigator of the ALICE trial, what is your prediction as to what it will show? Pedro, uh, our study aims to confirm that uh, sentinel node mapping without systematic node section does not negatively impact oncological outcomes. And the women with endometrioid, grade three, deep myometrial invasion, cervical invasion, or non-endometrioid tumors that are confined to uterine to the uterus, uh, they are being randomized to sentinel lymph node biopsy only or sentinel lymph node biopsy with addition of systematic lymph node section. Uh, we are including only patients with high risk of factors for lymph node metastasis and believe that our data will provide uh, valuable data to support 
the sentinel lymph node mapping as a standard of care for endometrial cancer staging without retrieval of other microscopic lymph node metastasis. Uh, moreover, uh, the morbidity profile and quality of life will also be assessed, and uh, we expect to find an additional benefit in the reduction of early and late morbidity related to systematic uh, uh, lymph node section. Glauco, thank you so, so much for uh, your time. Uh, I do hope that you also find that as well. <laughs> as, uh, you know, certainly otherwise we would need to go back to the full lymphadenectomies, uh, pelvic pyreotics. Uh, and uh, so, yes, uh, I, uh, I really obviously wish you um, great luck on the, on the study. Um, I didn't ask you, do you have an estimated time in terms of when it'll be completed? I think we will need um, two or three more years. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's very difficult to run a, a surgical trial. We we have the patient uh, the the it's aged more than seventy five years, and then okay. uh, we have the known endometrioid with uterine disease, and uh, and the things go further. It's yeah. it's difficult to run, but uh, we 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 will win this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so, so much once again, and thank you, Glauco, for everything you do uh, for gynecologic oncology, obviously for the women with cancer, uh, and thank you for your work and your publication and accepting our invitation. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye.